Look around. Everywhere these days, people are crying out for effective leadership. There's no mistaking it any longer. Men, especially leaders, are struggling, emasculated by imposed rules, stereotyping, and leadership models that are no longer working. There are many women who are doing a much better job at leadership than the men, and we need to recognize them. We need their help too. Welcome to Well, the Women's Expressions on Leadership, Learning, and Liberty podcast show, and I'm its host, John Krotek. This is the show where women can help us men to be better men, more effective leaders. My guest for this episode um, is very, very busy, and she is a, a good friend, uh, Annette Wittenberger, and I met about two and a half, three years ago, and I was on her podcast. We'll talk a bit more about that, but I'm super excited to have her here on this pilot series of The Well Podcast. Um, she's been a military spouse for 24 plus years. She's a mother to a daughter and to a son. We can talk a little bit about that today, you know, leadership in the home. Um, and she's also a retired combat veteran. We have something in common. Uh, we're both in the NBC. And for those that don't know, that's the Nuclear Biological Chemical Corps. Um, interesting stuff we learned there. Uh, she did that for 17 years and four months and uh, served her country uh, proudly and honorable, honorable, honorably. It's a brain injury thing. Um, and, 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 and then just thrilled to have served in the same army that Annette did. Uh, she retired in November 2016. And she actually, and she admits it by all accounts, that she's an accidental entrepreneur. We can talk a little bit about that. It still takes leadership, right? And she uses her voice now to share her story like she will today. Uh, but, she, but she talks about her life after the Army, living with mental illness. Uh, we do have more than one thing in common. And, and how she was able to overcome the challenges of that, the transition and the mental things, mental, right? Um, she's also focused on her own business, uh, and she does a podcast show. I was on her show a uh, year before last. She's a very polished speaker. She mentors veterans and non-veterans, and she, she's a huge volunteer. Her first book, The Wall Between Two Lives, is an incredible account of her story and, and the things that she was challenged with, and we're going to talk about that today, too. We're going to talk about so many things. Uh, her blog is called A Wild Ride Called Life, and it is wild. It has been. Um, she incorporates stories from her post-military life, and she shares her life as a mom and has a military spouse living with post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and depression, lifelong illnesses that quite a few people have to overcome, and it takes real leadership and grit and determination to get over those things. Along with the writing, and we talked about the podcast titled The Truths We Hide. And my journey with Annette and interview there, she's an amazing uh, questioner or interviewer. Uh, she's able to extract things that people do hide. And there's things about all of us that we keep hidden deep inside. And my whole journey with that podcast and Annette was she was able to elicit things out of me that was almost healing. So I would call it not only a storytelling podcast, but it's a healing platform for anybody that she interviews. It's pretty cool because she provides hope and allows us to share our stories that, uh, that are tough to hear sometimes, but that we need to tell. 
Um, and then her volunteering. Oh my gosh, we talk about being busy. She loves to volunteer and assist and mentor veterans. Uh, she, she is a mentor for Veterati. Many of you know that, know what that is. Um, she's also, she mentors other military spouses because of her over two decades doing it on eMentor and Amplify. And she's also volunteering for the NASDAQ Mentor Circle Makers Group. We can talk a little bit about that, more leadership stuff. So I know I'm getting long-winded, just a few more things to say about Annette, and then we're going to let her tell her story. She's also been a mentor for TAPS, the Tragedy Assistance Program for Children Survivors of those who are killed in combat. Uh, and uh, she's also a member of the Association for Military Spouse Entrepreneurs and Women's Veterans Network. She continues her work as a mentor, a consultant, a public speaker, an author, a podcaster, and sharing resources from nonprofits who are like-minded and like-hearted when it comes to mental health. And I just heard less than a couple of minutes ago that she's got another project coming up soon. We'll let her tell you about that, but it has something to do with the universal language of music. So... Without any further ado, I apologize for being so long-winded, but we got a, a very busy leader here and an important story to tell. Thank you, Annette Wittenberger, for being here today. Oh my gosh, John, thank you so much. It's it's so hard to, to imagine the things that you do until somebody reads it and you're like, oh my God, I do do all those things. <laughs> no, you're right about that. It is. And you know what? You know, which raises a good point. We Too many of us don't give ourselves credit yeah. and where credit is due and and when you're a, a giving person like yourself, I can relate to that. It's tough for us to put ourselves up on a marquee and say, hey, look at me. I'm Annette Wittenberg. You know, yeah. we just don't do that. So, but no, that's really her and that's really you. And all the things that we just said is your story to date. Um, so you're a leader. You're a mentor, which is all about learning and education. And you certainly believe in liberty and freedom, not only freedom of the mind, but freedom for people around the world, including the United States of America. So whew, tell me, you inspired me, you know, and I just had some green tea. So <laughs> with the caffeine in it. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your household growing up and how you developed all these amazing skill sets that you exemplify today. Tell us about the household. Mm -hmm. So my parents actually divorced when I was six years old and um, my father was in our lives sporadically, not consistently. And so that was difficult growing up. We did the one weekend thing or every other weekend thing for a few years. And then he had his own family and um, unfortunately, we were kind of, you know, pushed to the side a little bit, and, but we just continued to live. My mom actually bought a house about, you know, on the other side of town. So we were 10, 15 minutes away from uh, our father. And uh, she just was, you know, she was just really amazing. And, and it's sad that it took me this long to realize that because she was going to school. She was trying to earn her bachelor's degree mm -hmm. and raise the two of us. And then she got remarried and then, um, you know, she just, she just really tried. It, she, we were independent from um, such a young age, being latchkey kids and trying to take care of ourselves because she was trying to do her thing. 
And so I, I saw that and she always taught us to be independent, never rely on anybody else for financial freedom. So that was always instilled in our mind. How can we support ourselves without having to realize someone else to support us? So my brother and I, you know, we, that's how we've been all our lives is just independent and not really wanting to rely on anybody else. I, I grew up with that in my mind, which kind of hindered me in relationships though, you know, because in my mind, nobody could tell me what to do and I could do it myself. So I, yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> so that was a little difficult growing up trying to figure that part out, how mm -hmm. to let people in. Uh, so that, yeah, that was, <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. So, so to early on, so, you know, you raise a good point here, uh, early on, you know, with your dad, who's probably, you know, as a child, one of the most important men, male mm -hmm. figures in our lives and mm -hmm. the head of the household, you know, it had to solidify something, you know, that's not the mm -hmm. best example for a young girl mm -hmm. to get when, when dad leaves the family. And, you know, if you want to share, how did that affect you as far as your image of men did it did it put a, a, a visual in your mind or a belief besides yes. being independent yes yeah, so unfortunately uh when I was nine and a half almost ten I was I was sexually abused and I was I was abused by my it was my best friend's father then and uh it happened twice and you know I don't I can't say why I didn't, you know, I don't, I can't answer why I didn't say anything the first time, except for the fact that I was scared. And so the second time that it happened is when I was like, oh my gosh, this is what is going on. So that, that left a huge, um, just hole in my heart for most of my life, because after that, I grew up dating the wrong kind of men I mean guys were verbally abusive and some were physically abusive and I tried so hard to just gain acceptance I want that I wanted them to like me I don't know how that all it, it was just all those little things from the age of six up until 10 and then further on it was just so strange for me to think about those as I try to dig deeper into my life because I really did I I tried so hard to hold on to men I didn't want them to leave and so that really affected my relationships, um, you know, all my life, really. Yeah, that's tough. And, you know, and as somebody as the male brother to you, you know, I wasn't assaulted by a, uh, by a parent, but it was by a much larger child boy. And, you know, I, I can relate to many of those same feelings of acceptance and uh, approval from others and hanging on at all costs, despite the negative effect that it has on our own personal psyche. I mean, I hit it for 42 years. I, I never mentioned anything to anybody, but I can tell you, and you know this, that that had a significant impact on a lot of my relationships from then on, you know, how I perceived myself and, and, and girls and, and later on women. But so, you know, so you have these negative things happening, but you become a poster child for resilience. It's obvious, you know, when I look at your biography and I know <laughs> what you're up to these days. So, so that, you know, thanks for sharing that. That's tough, but it's also, it, 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 it's, it's healing too. And for other people to hear that, that you can be confronted with some of the greatest challenges of your life, whether you're a boy or a girl and you can still overcome. So kudos to you. 
Um, so here we are. You have those things happen to you. You go on. Did you join the military right away? No, I was so I, I attended an all girl Catholic high school and uh, I had a friend who enlisted in the army. And, and for us back then, that was like, wow, that is so cool. And so I I attempted to I had a recruiter at the house. I was about to sign the paper, but I got scared. And so I, I chose not to enlist at 18 and I attended community college. And then I went on to a university that had the ROTC program, the Reserve Officer Training Corps. And I was determined when I chose that university, they had to have that because I still wanted to somehow figure out how to uh, take a chance on the army. So when I went to Arizona State University, I did the program for a few years and they said, okay, it's time, you need to make a decision. I was like, okay, let's just do it. Let's just try it out. Um, but backstory with that, my father, my father didn't really uh, believe that women should serve. And so, like I said before, stubborn and can't tell me what to do. I did it <laughs> to prove a point <laughs> to myself and my family, because all of them were like, why are you joining the army? Why, you know, you just, they, they had no idea. They couldn't understand why I would do that. And, uh, I just, you know, I chose, I thought I was only going to serve a few years, but I met my husband my senior year of college and he was already commissioned as an officer. And I basically followed him around. We were stationed everywhere. And um, every year that he was in, I stayed another year in. And so I was that person who couldn't see my future. I was like, I'll just stay another year. <laughs> and so that's, that's how it happened. It's such a crazy story, but that's how I ended up serving for so long. So what was it like being a female officer and, and, you know, and basically, you know, an army full of male leaders, what was that like? So my first encounter, uh, what, so in my ROTC program, there were a few of us females. So that already was like, wow, you know, I looked up to them because I thought it was so amazing. They were so, they knew what they wanted and I was kind of here floating around. Um, but I was given an opportunity to train with an airborne unit in Italy and while I was still uh, attending the school. And so I went, but unfortunately, you know, I entrusted another soldier because I had no idea. I was so naive and so gullible, even at the age of 22. He, you know, wanted to show me around Italy before we went to Germany for training. And so I went with him, but he took advantage of, of that situation. And I was completely traumatized because I, I, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't believe that um, someone would do that. You know, I was training with them and I was the only female in this airborne unit. And I, I don't know, I just couldn't believe it. So I, I asked to leave early. I said, I can't stay here. Um, I need to go back. And so my sponsor that I was shadowing, you know, he sent me back um, because he, he knew what had happened and I didn't proceed to do anything. I was just too scared. As I went back through Germany to come back to the States, I, I found out I had a leader that was there that I knew from school. And I, you know, he was a good, um, he was a good senior uh, non-commissioned officer. So I trusted him and I went to tell him what had happened and same thing happened with him. And so from then on, I think I just, I, I just kind of figured out I need to, I need to be stronger. I need to figure out how to survive this if this is mm -hmm. how they're going to be. So throughout my career, I was just always like leery of being around, um, male soldiers because I didn't want to go through that again you know that's tough you know because trust is so valuable 
between people in general, but even when you get into an organization where leadership is 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 integral to the success of, of the mission wherever you go. And, you know, it kind of just blows me away. You know, I've talked to other ladies that have been in the service that have had similar situations and, you know, what a mind blowing, and that's putting it real mild and that a mind blowing uh, thing to have happen, especially when you're trying to give your all for the organization you're in. And, and that, you know, we know that things like that also happen uh, in the private sector as well. So obviously a horrible thing for leadership is for people to take advantage of a position and, and, and hurt other people. I mean, the, the, you know, you forfeit your leadership position when you do that. That's my personal opinion, but, but it's gotta be real. So, but you stayed in 17 years. Were you married at that time or? I was engaged. No, we were still dating. I, I didn't get engaged until later. So I wasn't married yet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again. But you kept it all inside. You didn't really talk to anybody. No, because who was going to believe me? <laughs> it was one of our leaders. You know, I tried. I did come back and I tried to confide in somebody, but I didn't go through with the full process because he was well known. So who's going to, you know, who's going to believe me? You know, and that's just taking advantage of a certain situation. So, so, but you came back, you got engaged. Mm -hmm. At least you had, you had something good going. You had a guy who believed in you, who wasn't going to abuse you. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. So almost like a dichotomy. So tell us a little bit about that then being married as a mom in the service. And then you had your two children. So you had a blessing out of it. I did. I did. I uh, had to learn how to be a mom, a soldier and a spouse all at the same time at the age of 25. <laughs> so I, you know, I went to Germany, I left home, I, I left the country for the first time on my own. And uh, so I was in Germany, pregnant, trying to figure out my life. And it was just, it was so eye opening. It's like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? But I, when people ask me, how did you, I don't know, we just did, you know, because you couldn't tell the army, I can't go to work. I have a kid. You have to figure out daycare. You have to figure out how you're going to make it work. And so that's what I had to do. And I was very, very fortunate to find two amazing ladies who took care of my kids while I was um, at work or in the field or whatever. I just, I was so lucky and that doesn't always happen. And, um, that's how I survived the first three years in Germany. Everywhere else, it was just, I don't know how we did dual military life. It was just, um, very challenging and and i there were points where i was resentful because i felt like i was doing it all and he wasn't like why is he more important than me so it was very it was very hard because i had to get out of that mindset you know we're both serving but usually the moms do it so i just did it you know and that's much admiration um my mom was not in the service but i was born in germany so my my sister was born there and my dad was an army officer. So I'm, I'm, I'm like, gosh, that was my mom. You know, she was over there raising kids and my dad was out doing the army thing, but you know, that's what a lot of people don't understand. And, and, and men, you know, we have to admit it that the there's, you know, motherhood is huge and all children need safety and they need comfort and they need protection and who better than to give it the, the mother. And so I, kudos to you. 
you know, sharing with, with us those tough things, but also the realities of life of a female officer in the United States Army. So all the ladies who are listening or the mothers out there who are raising children in the service, God bless you. And, and then to the men who are married to these ladies, God bless you guys too, but, you know, make sure you support those women, you know, I mean, we don't have to be dragging our knuckles all the time. So tell us about the, the deployments. What, what, what was that like with, with the children older then, or how, how did that work? So I, my first deployment, uh, actually my husband and I both deployed at the same time, about six months apart. I went first and then he did. Our children were three and five. And at that time, we didn't know he was going to deploy. That wasn't was that wasn't supposed to happen. But we found out, and my mom actually moved from California to Texas to help raise the kids with his dad. His dad had come in from Colorado, so just a crazy, unexpected thing, you know. I so I went to Iraq, and um, it's very hard. And I, I know you know to change your mindset. You know, you have to leave the things back at home can't it's, it's like you have to reprioritize you have to figure out what what can I focus on right now and you have to focus on your soldiers and so that's what I did and back then we had um video teleconferences BTCs um and you had to have them scheduled so it's not like you could go see your family on video all the time they had to be a, scheduled at a certain time and, you know, that was hard to see the kids through video. My mom trying to figure out things and asking me questions I didn't have answers to. It was very difficult. And, uh, you know, I don't, I just, I don't know how we did that either. It's, it's, I'm so thankful that we had our parents to be able to help that. Not everybody has that. And so that, that first appointment was, was, was hard. You know, it sounds to me that you had, you may not know it or may admit it, or maybe you do, that you have uh, some kind of a subconscious optimism at play. Because what I see with you so far in the short time we've been talking is that no matter what happened or what you were going through, you made it. And it had to have been something <laughs> subconscious in that, in the back of your mind somewhere, that you knew you were going to make it. And, you know, that's where when you were talking about independence and what your mom taught you growing up, you know, I think that what your mom instilled in you at a young age was the ability to know or realize that you were going to get through no matter what it was. Wow. I, I, I get that. I get that, that sense. Well, I get that sense, you know, and, yeah. and so you probably are more of an optimist than you give yourself credit for. I think I guess you're right. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, I, I yeah. just, I, Trying to listen to you and hear the story. Thought, well, how would she do that? Well, I get it. You're more, you need to put that on your bio. You are an eternal optimist. Wow. Yeah. I yeah, never thought of it that way. <laughs> it's just another slice of the pie. So, so how many deployments did you do while you were in the service? I did two. The next one was to Afghanistan. Afghanistan, right. And then, well, so, but, and was it kind of the same thing or you were more prepared then? So and they, were, that, they were older too. They were older. And that was actually by accident because I was slated for rear detachment. And um, I just felt like I wanted to do more. And I asked to, to be deployed. And um, that did not go over very well with the family. And uh, my brigade commander at the time, he, he uh, created a slot for me. So I went twice to Afghanistan 
um, in their year deployment. I went there for a couple months. I came back and I went back again. And um, that was a, that was the more difficult one. My my kids were older, but we lost a lot of soldiers there, and I never experienced that being forward. And um, I think that one really hit me hard because I was also trained as a casualty assistance officer and a casualty notification officer. Mm -hmm. So I did those as well while I was in the rear detachment. Um, So, and then, uh, so I knew how that went and that, that really, really got me. Um, I didn't know how to show those emotions because when we lost somebody, everybody went their separate ways. And, and I was just like, what do we do? What, I don't know how to process this. Like what happens next? And it was just, it was, um, it was very difficult. Was, was that a year deployment, Afghanistan? I only went for a total of four months, but it, for them, it was a year. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank God you made it back, you know, the, the yes. combat and conflict or it's a whole different world, which is another understatement. But, you know, again, you, you survived, you, you, you came back out of it. And, you know, do you think that molded you in any way? Did it change your value sets as far as leadership went or, you know, the way you were thinking about things? I think it really messed me up um, because, you know, when you come back and they ask you if you're okay, if you want to see anybody, we always check the box. Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) I don't need to see anybody. But really, I held on to that for so long that, you know, I still get emotional thinking about it because it was um, one of my, uh, one of our soldiers, she lost her husband there and she was notified there. So it all, Mm -hmm. we were all together. And so that, that still breaks my heart because I see her on social media and it's like, I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she continues, but she does, you know, she has kids now and everything. So it's just, it's just a reminder. And every year, you know how we do on social media, every year we, on the anniversary, we um, pray for, for those that we lost. So that's always a reminder. So it's still, it still stings for all of us. It's really, you know, it's really hard. Well, thanks for sharing that. You know, that, that does bring up a good, um, a good conversation. We don't have to expound on it too much, but, you know, I've heard it often said, you know, grief, fatigue, you know, and when you're in the military, unlike civilian life, you know, you are surrounded at times as combat soldiers and veterans, you are surrounded by the specter of, of a grief and death and those kinds of things. And, and when you're mentoring people, which I know you have a huge heart, sometimes it does reinforce that, you know, I, I had a gold star father tell me one time, you know, John, it, it, the triggers, the feelings don't get any better. He says to me, they just get different, you know, because as we heal ourselves, we learn better ways to cope but at the same time the triggers don't go away you know i was trying to explain the trigger of a sexual assault as a child and i just learned this the other day a woman that had been through some serious stuff like you and me but she said you know i I finally realized that as a child you want security and safety and when something like that happens to you you don't have that so you're constantly searching for security and safety you know Mm -hmm. approval and acceptance from the relationships and when we don't get it 
we get resentful, we get angry. And think about this, and I'm sure you have, sexual assault, um, I don't even like to say victim, but sexual assault recipients, we get triggered daily. Sometimes we don't even really know it. Mm-hmm. You know, trauma for children is different. I think trauma is trauma, but I think it's a little bit different when you're stunned with it at such an early age. And so I'm thinking already, I'm thinking of that leader. I'm thinking independence. I'm thinking optimism in the face of all odds. I'm thinking dedication because you're a mother and love of country. And I'm thinking again, like we said earlier, resilience. So 17 years, four months, you ETS, which means you ended your service. Tell us what that was like. I, so I didn't plan on retiring at 17 years, four months. <laughs> I actually didn't, uh, I wasn't selected for the next uh, rank for, for promotion. And so I was devastated, I, absolutely devastated. And it mm. crushed my, my whole soul. And, um, I didn't know how to process that because then, you know, they gave you the option to, to retire or continue service in the national guard or in the reserves. And I had about 30 days to make that decision. So I did my research because I really wanted to continue to serve, but I spoke to another uh, recruiter and he said, you know what, ma'am, it just makes more sense for you to just retire. And I was just, I was shattered. And so I, I had six months to exit and six months is not enough time to collect, a, to collect yourself and figure out what the heck you're going to do, especially when you had a somewhat of a plan. So I, uh, I retaliated. I lashed out. I was angry. I didn't attend my retirement ceremony. I uh, isolated myself. I sat in the house for months. I knew I needed to do a resume, but I didn't want to. So I chose just not, I never went back to work. I, um, it, it took me a long time to accept the fact that I no longer was defined by the uniform. I was no longer Major Wittenberger. I no longer had to show up for formations. I no longer had my people. And that was really hard. Because there are still, there's days still, it's almost been six years where I miss it. I miss it so much. And I would do anything to go back. But because of my um, uh, mental, because of my disabilities, I guess if you want to put it, I I don't think they would take me back. And and I have family and all that. But still, I just, I miss it so hard. And, uh, you know, that was, it was very difficult for me. Some of my peers were like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. I wish I could retire. And I was not, I didn't feel like that at all. I was so mad. I was so mad. Like, how come I'm not good enough? That's how I thought. Why am I not good enough? How come my peer is good enough and I'm not? So it took me a long time to accept that. Well, you know, an acceptance is part of it. But, you know, again, we, we, we talk about, you know, the, the, the fallout from traumatic events and it never seems like there's any one, one cause. It always seems like they're stacked, you know, like, you know, trauma after trauma after trauma and we stack them and you know it's real and you're living it and you're living it every day and and it just plays on your mind and then you have to have purpose you know as a as a a, uh, 
as a human being, we have to. And so it's funny that your purpose becomes this accidental entrepreneur, you know? So how does purpose become accidental, right? I'm thinking this, but so tell, you know, tell us, well, thank you for your service, you know, so cliche, right? But (laughs) tell us about the accidental purpose that you are now embarking on because I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to learn how you made that transition. I started writing and started speaking to some people behind the scenes to figure out how I was going to mentally get through this, this, to me, somewhat of a traumatic experience from retirement. I I didn't know how to figure my life out. Um, From writing, I created the blog, the website and decided to share it with the world. From then on, I knew I wanted to do something more, but I had so many people tell me, you'll never be able to monetize that. It's just a blog. Why are you different from everybody else? And so after so many years of thinking, well, yeah, I guess I am just a blog. I'm never going to amount to anything. I decided to, um, and apply for the Rosie network. If anybody knows about that, the Rosie network created by Stephanie Brown, Um, I did their cohort in Virginia for about six months. And I realized that I was more than that. The, the ladies, the women in that cohort made me realize I was just, I was more than just a blog. So I continued to prove my, prove to myself and prove other people wrong that I could do more with this. And so that's how it, it ended. I, never thought I would be an entrepreneur, but it was so by accident because I wanted to, I wanted to prove to people that I can make a difference. And so that's how I created the podcast, a mentorship program, um, you know, a book. I just kept moving forward because it was part of my self-healing journey. And I needed to be able to share with people that you can do it, you know? And so that's how I, that's how I did it. I just, it was almost like people were telling me no, and I was like, screw that. I'm going to do it somehow. And so I just kept going. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a thanks for sharing that. Because you know what? You bring, the, you bring another example of here you are. You know deep down inside that you want to make a difference in the world, right? Another understatement. And isn't it amazing how when you want to change the world, you know, your heart's bigger than the universe. And, you're, and, you're, and you're, your persistence at wanting to make a real difference is inside you but most people we run into they don't have dreams like that a lot of times they're not flying at fifty thousand feet they're at sea level and that's okay we all have a prerogative we all make choices so i'm going to pull another word out here called persistence and that's a perfect example of first not taking no for an answer but a perfect example of persistent leadership you knew what your core values were and are. You know what who you are and what you want to accomplish on your journey. It's your life. And, and look at what you've been able to do with it. You know, how did you pick the name? Wild Ride of Life. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I know how. I know now why. But, you know. I... I was really praying to God for some purpose in my life. I was really in a, in a dark, uh, a, a dark place and I knew I needed to do something. And I don't know. Um, I get, I want to say, I don't know where it came from, but I believe he sent it to me because 
that that was it. I, I knew. I said, you know what? I'm I'm keeping it. I don't care if it doesn't make sense. It makes sense to me and it's gonna work. So that's it really did. It just came in my sleep one day. I said, that's it. I'm going with it. I love that. You know, I, I mean I could, hey, I'm a net <laughs> Wittenberger. I um I accidentally found my purpose. And let me tell you how I did it. <laughs> you know, it's like that's a good story. That's a really good story. And you know, out of that pain in that dark place and that isolation all created by you but the keys to get out of that were also created by you so leadership is also persistence and creation um tell us about the book i knew i wanted to write a book i just you know how we get on our minds and imposter syndrome comes in and and you want so many things to happen but you don't know how to do it i just i took a writing course a short writing course and she really made me believe I could do it. And I continued on. I continued to just keep writing after the course. And um, a friend of mine, Chris McPhee, I'm not, I don't remember if you know him or not. He said, hey, one of my old buddies owns a publishing company called Tactical 16. And I was like, really? He says, just apply for it. Just try to apply and, and see. send in a proposal, see what you can do. And I did, I, I worked really, really hard to do this proposal thinking, I don't know if it's going to, why me? But then, you know, people say, well, why not you? So I just, I went for it and I waited 30 grueling days to get an answer back and I got accepted. And I was like, holy shit, this is it. This is my time. Uh, and and I, I went for it. I just continued writing and, and I wanted to, it, it was really hard because you have to dig deep into your past. And so I went as far as reaching out to the courthouse where the, the um, I can't think of the word, where I had to go to testify against the de my, deposition, deposition. Yeah, the deposition of my, against the abuser. I hadn't seen those records for mm. 40 years, <laughs> 35 plus years, and they still had it. They still yeah. had it and I had them mailed to me and I, and I, and I haven't read all of them yet, but I read the police report. And so I had to really dig in my past because I wanted to make sure I was making accurate accounts and not just from my mind of what had happened. And so little things like that, I reached out to my family and said, Hey, I'm going to talk about this in my life. You're involved because he's our dad. And they said, okay, it's okay. And so I had to, you know, I wanted to do it in a respectful way, not just make this all about me. But my family is involved too. Can I use your name? They gave me permission to use your name. I didn't um, name everybody and I didn't add everything in there because I still have to be respectful to parts of my family. So I, you know, I just wanted to provide hope uh, for those that have been through divorce and childhood trauma and all these things. I wanted people to say, to read it and think, okay, this is, she went through crap but she, she made it out and this is how she did it. And, and that's, I just, you know, I wanted to do more than post on social media. I wanted to put it out there and put it in someone's hands so that they can have it with them and think, okay, I can do it. That's awesome. You know, the title of Annette's book is The Wall Between Two Lives. It's available on Amazon and Tactical 16 and other places. Um, you know, your journey has been an inspiration to so many. And, and I know what drives you. I have a funny feeling that 
very similar to what drives myself. And we never really know who we affect and how we affect them. But you're an exemplary example of what I call the give back leader. Um, it's another part of leadership that's often overlooked. Um, it's, leadership is more than sometimes, you know, taking care of the baby or, you know, barking out an order. It's also volunteering, which you do quite a, a bit of. Can you tell us why you volunteer? And, and can you tell us one example or an event or a situation that happened that just made you feel really awesome about being a volunteer? Gosh, you know, it's funny because you, in the military, you are a mentor, right, to your soldiers. But I, when I left, I didn't feel like I had anything to mentor on anymore. I really didn't. And, and it's, I, I just felt so you, worthless, useless, really. And so I thought, well, how, who am I going to mentor? Who's going to listen to me? And then one day I signed up for Veterani. And I had, uh, I actually had people military spouses reached out to me and said, I read your profile. You talk about mental health. How do you do that and become who you are? And that right there was like, that's, I, this is it. I, I love this because I was vulnerable in my profile. I listed out what I was going through, but then what I do as well to provide kind of some kind of inspiration. So that's when I knew, that's when I knew that I have purpose and people still want, they still believe in me, even though I have been very upfront with what I, what I, what I live with. And I, I continued on. I became, you know, I signed up for eMentor, um, then with the um, NASDAQ. And when I'm asked to be a guest speaker for a graduating class or whatever, that completely blows my mind. I am so humbled because Six years ago, I didn't think I could give back. And now I'm being asked to speak, to provide inspiration to other people. And that just really, I'm getting emotional. That really just. Well, you know, when we get emotional, <laughs> we, we know that your heart is in it. And that is a quality that more leaders need to have is their heart into what they do, that they don't forfeit their leadership position by something that is selfish and you're anything but selfish. I mean, you've been unselfish since a very early age. And so I give you great kudos for that, ma'am. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's really cool. I, I know, you know, I alluded at the, the outset that you're working on a big project. Um, sounds super exciting, you know, cause music is the universal language. Can you share anything with us about yes. that? Yes. Oh my gosh. So I've loved music since I got my first, uh, what we call it a boom box. <laughs> and when I, I was gift, <laughs> I had a red one and I used to put it in the backyard and listen to my tapes and the radio. And then I was gifted a uh, dual cassette record player stereo system. And I just knew. And so backstory from that, I, I took, I took voice lessons and piano lessons as a kid, but then I just didn't go through with it as I got older, unfortunately. So I was given an opportunity. The veterans, um, there's a, through the VA, they offer what's called a VRAP program, V-R-R-A-P, Veterans Rapid Readiness. I, I don't remember exactly. I applied for it. 
and I got accepted. And what they do for you is they give you up to 12 months of free education off of their approved school list. I glanced at 80 pages of schools and, you know, nothing really stuck out to me until I saw music. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I really need to do this. I um, called the school and through the program, I have been accepted to, I had to apply for the school, but let me tell you about that really quick. <laughs> so it wasn't like easy in, I had to submit two original pieces of music. So I had to write two songs and I had two of my, my friends, cause I wasn't ready to sing it yet. They both sang it and played the guitar. So I've created two pieces of music and I got, I got accepted into the school. So what I'm going to do with this is I want to use it towards music therapy. And um, excuse me. <laughs> I, I um, am going to do songwriting and music production. And so I want to use this for music therapy, for mental health. And that is my goal. So all this long story to show you that I had, I worked hard for this. I'm so, I'm so excited that I can't wait to do this. Well, you know, that's your next promotion, you know, you know, forget light bird, right? It's, it's time for something bigger. Okay. And I, I just, uh, I'm thrilled to death for you. Do you have a name for it yet? Or are you still working on that? I'm still working on it. Okay. Well, they're cool. You know, I know you'll come up with something really cool. Um, do you have a, just to recap real quick, you know, we're, we're talking with Army veteran and serial accidental entrepreneur, Annette Wittenberger. She's got an amazing story. Her leadership story is all about resiliency, independence, eternal optimism, dedication, innovation, creativity, give back. And she also mentioned choices. Do you have a personal mantra, Annette, that you adhere to? every day in your own words do you have something or maybe the words of somebody famous i don't know but you're pretty famous i heard uh this this saying about three years ago now your mess is your message and i i play that in my head every day and i always talk about it how your mess is your message you could create something so great from what you've been through your mess is your message there you have it so how can people find out more information where do they need to go in that how can they find out about you about your book about the blog and the podcast how can they find out more they can go to my website at a wild ride called life.com and then everything's there they can find it there yes sir you can awesome well i'm thrilled to death i i really want to thank you for i'm glad we finally linked up again it's been a couple of years and and time flies when you're having fun but i I'm completely inspired and motivated now after talking to you over the past hour to do something and to give back myself. So there you have it, Annette. Thank you very much. Uh, God bless you. Hang on after we shut this down, but have a few things to talk about. But uh, thank you very much for being on this pilot series of, of, of interviews. I appreciate it. It really was an honor for, for you to ask me. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Well. Without you, we don't exist. We hope the men who joined us today learned some valuable tips to improve and not be ashamed to use them. Be the change, set the example, keep going, men. 
And for the women leaders out there, keep creating and keep helping us men to become even better men, more effective leaders. Thank you. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and lead.